Hello, 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 hello. It's good to see you. Say hello. Welcome to the Husky Hockey Podcast, your number one resource for all things mild disappointment, major disappointment, and everything in between as this Husky hockey season starts taking a turn upside down. I'm Weldy, sitting here with Andrew. Let's just dive right into Miami. Andrew, I'm going to have a question for you just right off the bat. We had the weekend getting swept up in Duluth. Uh, We have this weekend here. Two ties against Miami, right, at home. Which one is more demoralizing? If you were to rank these two, gut check, bottom of the barrel Miami getting two ties at home or going out to Minnesota Duluth and getting swept, which uh, which 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 feels worse in deep down in the depths of your gut? I think... It's a tough question. I, I actually think they played worse against Miami. And I don't know if that if that equals demoralizing, but I know I think it's a worse result. Um the points obviously are 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 different, but uh and it looks to be better, but for the Miami series, getting four points there, but um considering yeah. the opponent, considering the home ice advantage, uh this was a this was bad, uh, and, and the way they played was was not good uh, as well. And so, I'm not. Yeah, they're both bad. I, I don't know if I really want to rate worse, but I guess I just did. <laughs> so, just well, not I'm, good, not good. Yeah, and and that's where I was kind of struggling with too, even trying to find an answer. I, I mean, because we're looking at both instances, uh, and you know, four points out of six doesn't sound that terrible. But, I mean, when you get to the fact that, you know, you were in Penrose contention not too long ago, that's a pipe dream now. That's gone. That's evaporated. Um, And now the fact that you're going up against a team who got shellacked last week against North Dakota, and you you just end up, yeah, like, playing worse. I mean, I just... I expected a little bit of a fight, a little bit of a bounce back from this team, and we just didn't get it this weekend. And it's just puzzling to me, considering how well we, the first part of the year, we were against adversity. And now it's just all of that, you know, fight. We just, just kind of look lethargic and it's just, it's, it's, it's tough to watch. It it, it really is. Uh... I'm going to, I'm going to, we're three minutes into the podcast. I'm going to big brain it right away. I'm going to get Ooh. the big brain, brain out of the way. Boom, I think, I, I think St. Cloud would have been better off losing one of these games for two reasons. Okay. One, one, the wake up call would have been more apparent. As you said, four out of six points, it's deceiving. It gives you, mm. I think, a, a, too much of a sense of comfort or even, accomplishment uh because i don't think you deserved the majority of the points this weekend so i think had you have lost one of these games i think it would have focused you more to the task at hand as far as we got some stuff that we really need to work on uh 
And two, uh, the other reason that I think they'd rather lose is I think that they're better dropping in the pairwise. Uh, this team, if they're going to make a run in the tournament, we well, still... they're definitely doing that, so... <laughs> Mission I want more. They're at seven right now. I think a three or a four seed is the best position for this team to compete in the NCAA tournament. Most people, I'm, I'm the idiot who thinks that the, that you can't really gauge that, that the NCAA tournament is not the ultimate gauge of who's the better program. I mm-hmm. think it's mostly a series of spins of a roulette wheel, but most people, most people believe that it's still, uh, you know, a, a, a tournament that you can get answers to questions that build during a season. I, I don't really agree with that, but but whatever, I'll go along with it. If St. Clouds get ever win a national title, it's going to be from an underdog position. We've seen, especially of late, last two weekends in particular, this team struggles to get up against teams that are lower than them in the standings and in the pairwise. Uh, you know, 10 games this year in which the Huskies have not won eight losses in these two ties. Seven of those against teams out of the Bearwise, 25 and lower. Uh, this team, I feel much more confident. When I, remember when I felt confident about when they're going into the Denver series a few weeks ago? I'm much more confident when this team is playing either a name, a big-name university, or someone, or just like a... a in a situation where they're clearly the underdog based on standings or pairwise positioning. So I want them to, if, if they were be able to play in the tournament, Minnesota, Michigan, Denver, and Boston university, give me those four teams. <laughs> I'd be pretty confident that they could at least bring their best a game, maybe not win, but not throw, not, Come to the come prepared the way they did the last two weekends, where it's the combination of not being focused to your opponent, kind of playing down to their levels, uh, and failing to adjust when or or kick into kick into gear, wake up when the game has started and it's not going so hot at, at the start. So. Those are my two big brain ideas. I, I would have rather have, have them lost uh, one of these games. Um, I know that sounds silly, but that's just um, that's what this program's done to me over the years. I, I got to <laughs> think about things like this. So, I mean, you're, you're tell me wrong. how wrong. I guess that's the sad. The sad part is that it's like yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah, the underdog position suits us a little bit better. Um, you know. The only, like, real pushback, I guess, I would have about, you know, they should lose this game, you know, one of these games or anything along those lines, is is, is just that I, I, I thought we would have had an answer for the adversity that we felt against the Minnesota Duluth. Like, I felt like we would have some type of a pushback here coming in, but I've got no faith in that's going to happen. This is the first time of the season that I have very little faith that we're going to be able to turn this around. And maybe it's because of the Anhorn injury. Maybe it's because Meyer um, clearly isn't at a hundred percent. I don't know if Peart is at a hundred percent over last weekend either. So I don't know if he was sick or if he's injured or nagging something like that. But I mean, I thought, I thought, you know, 
Meyer wasn't there that often. I thought Peart was terrible, especially three on three. Um, in overtime, he gave up a couple of really big chances and didn't do that great on the power play moving the puck, which we'll definitely get talk about that five on three there on on Friday. But it's it's just that now what was our strength here has become just a big hole for uh, for the for this team and you know obviously losing two veteran guys or having you know losing one and then the other not being at 100% for whatever reason it's you know you're just you're just letting 30 shots both nights against this Miami team who hasn't had any type of offensive prowess against any other team other than St. Cloud. And not to say even, you know, they didn't even, they didn't score a five on five goal all, all weekend. So it's like, again, we're doing this kind kind of to ourselves and it's just, I don't know. I just, I just, I just thought we would come up with a little more tenacity here for the series and just to see us just kind of like that, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know if you were a big Buffy fan, but you know, there's the musical episode where Buffy's just going through the motions. And that's uh just kind of how it felt like is just this team is just kind of showing up and it's not I don't think it's an F like us being overconfident. It's just I don't I don't know what it is. It's just it was just just kind of flat lethargic play, and we haven't been able to play our game. Mike and Miller said that as well that we just stopped playing our game, and we've stopped for the last four games now. It's like I don't know what Denver did to us, but everything collapsed just right after that. Well, quick correction: they they did score two five on five goals. Um, both though, I can see where you're making that mistake because they were both immediately after power plays or a four on four situation in the first goal, the spell goal in the first period on Friday was right after a four on four opportunity. Oh no, like no, I, I, after. I'm sorry. I wasn't clear. We didn't let in a five on five goal. All oh, weekend. thank you. I, Cause I, I, I thought when, when I heard Oh, for eight on the power play, I'm like, that's wrong. Someone said it on the TV that mm-hmm. there were over eight on the Friday game. I'm like, no, I thought one of those was the power play, but it was the Mietnan goals three seconds after the power play ended. So essentially it kind of was because they didn't have their fifth guy on the ice at that point. But yeah. Um, so I wanted to fact check that just for, for sure. But no, you are, you are correct that no five on five goals for Miami all weekend, which is impressive. And I do like, I do like St. Cloud as a five on five team. It's just their special teams have been, have been really struggling of late. Uh, and this was a bad weekend for the power play in particular. One for 13, I believe, uh, all told on the weekend. Some of those were very short power plays, but you had that basically full two-minute five-on-three that you mentioned, um, and, and just several opportunities. And, and, and here's, you know, here's the thing. Overtime. I got a little, bit, a little bit into this I got with uh, Eric Zamora, who's, you know, the... Um, who works with the Norsemen, too, so he's not able to watch as many games. Um, but we were kind of going back and forth and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to contradict myself here <laughs> and whatever, who cares, you know, take it up with our complaint department, but I want, I want Micah Miller on the power play. And my point of him going two for two in the shootouts when apparently no one else could show which <laughs> we'll talk to that about that shootout as well. Um, but you know, you know, my whole point was like he. 
I think he just has a fantastic shot that we just don't utilize. And instead we have Salquist there on the half board and like he was out there on that five on three. And I think he coughed it up twice. And it's just like, he has two goals to assist. One of those goals is an empty netter. The other goal was scored to tie it up, which was a nice shorthanded goal. But let's face it, that was Cronulla's pass that did all the work. So it's like, I, I don't understand like Brett Larson's love affair with having Sulquist on the ice in those key moments. And I get with the face-offs. I understand that. But if he wins the draw, you put on somebody who can shoot. And Sulquist just isn't that guy. He's not that type of player. Even Sulquist like, has shown he can shoot. <laughs> but it's like, not like Sulquist, Sulquist, it's not like he's an 80% face-off guy either. I mean, he's better than average, but uh, he's not like a, a wizard at that. Yeah, it's it's gone from baffling to an act of stubbornness at this point. Yeah. I, I I do not get it at all. I went back through the entire weekend, rewatched all the power plays. Cause I, I am, I'm intrigued. <laughs> a <by> masochist. <laughs> yeah. They were ugly. Uh, and, and just, just I mean, stagnant. It was, like Duluth was able to cause confusion and cause movement, and that's what really screwed us up. But us, we just all everyone's just kind of sat in their place, and, and then a lack of adjustments when things clearly aren't working. They use mm-hmm. the same two units all weekend, and if first of all, I remember the power play dropped obviously after going one for thirteen this weekend, um, out of the top ten. I think they're twelve in the country right now. But I remember last last weekend when I noticed that it was like seventh or eighth uh, in the country. If I didn't know the number, and if I didn't know the position in the country, the ranking in the country that their power play was, I mean that shocks me that the power play is as high of a percentage as it is. It shocks me, and I have to think why does it? Why is that surprising to me? And I think it's it's boomer bust in the sense where they'll score at a above average clip as the numbers show. But for every time that they do that, there's there's these two minute power plays that they don't generate any shots. Like they're not even getting any chances in a lot of these power plays. It's not like it's a consistently peppering the goalie. You always have chances at every power play, which not every team's gonna have every single power play be just, you know, throwing everything five shots uh, every two minutes on a power play. And that's not realistic to expect that either. But that five on three, I don't know how many, I don't believe they generated one quality chance during that five on three. And so with these units too, so you got, and obviously Anhorn's absence makes a big difference here. Huge uh, difference. Correct. Front, front load that into this, just not just on the power play. He was, he was a penalty kill guy, obviously. I, I mean, he was their best player, I think, yeah. this, on this team this year. So that's a that's a huge loss, um, mm-hmm. but that's what happens in sports. You, you have to make adjustments to to things like that during a season. So I do hope there's time, but I I did want to front load that as that's a big part of these recent struggles, or at least the struggles that I'm going to mention from this weekend. But so you got two units here that that rotated, got around the even amount of ice time for all the power play action this weekend. 
And so their lines are Branala, Okabe, Solquist, who's usually centering, uh, and on most of the ones that he was on, he was playing a screener type in front. But there was, as you mentioned, a couple that he was on the wing, which yeah. really surprises me. And then with those three, you got uh, Meyer and Peart on the back end. I thought Meyer looked fine this weekend. I, I'm surprised that you still thought that he looked not quite 100%. Uh, but So you, you got 2D on that unit. I, I think he looked fine. That's the thing. Is like I'm used to Meyer looking good. I thought he looked fine. Yeah, especially in comparison to Pierre and Lutke, too. I think has sort of become like a Pierre Junior in the fact that he's a little sloppy lately. Uh, but yeah. and so he's not looked his best either. Whereas it was Meyer's, I think, been pretty steady. That second unit: Crookshank, Kupka, and Ingram. Or excuse me, and, and Mietnin. Then you have Ingram and Trayball. Ingram's not really playing a true point position, but he's playing the deepest. He's like either point or the high slot position. Um, whereas you got Crookshank. Kupka is sort of your grinder screener type, which I like. I like that role for him. And then Mietnin's obviously the guy. You know, Crookshank will kind of be the feeder, and Mietnin's the analog to Cranola on that unit where he's sort of the sniper. And Ingram is kind of being the the B sniper because he's he's playing up top on that unit. Which of those two units, even though that we're kind of giving some crap to Solquist, I think that the Solquist uh, Cranola Okabe unit was the better of the two uh, units uh, on the weekend in terms of generating chances. Uh, Cranola was the one that scored the power play goal on Saturday, obviously with a nice little snipe on the doorstep. Um, but that second unit. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm a fan of Ingram in that position. I, 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 again, I'm feeling not sorry for him, but he's been placed in so many different roles this year, and there's been very little consistency with what his line mates are, even what position. I mean, he's played some center, he's played some wing. I mean, in theory, I don't mind the fact that he's on the power play, but him playing this sort of quasi-point man position is yet another kind of new, difficult task to shoulder on him in his freshman year. I, I might replace him with someone else on that unit, and Trayball as well. I mean, I, I didn't think that Lukey played all that well, but I think Lukey's more naturally suited as a like a point man quarterback on a power play than Trey ball. Who's even more stay at home than a guy like Meyer is, or even bushy for that, for that matter. Trey ball. I'm imagining is only really getting this opportunity because of the Anhorn injury. Um, and it's just interesting that they're playing one true D on one of these units where they, where they got two on the other, they got the Meyer and Peart on the other. And so if it was me, I would, I would use Miller instead of Solquist. Uh, Miller is the so of the of the top six guys forwards, pretty much all year. The only one that's not getting power play time is Miller. I think he should change that. Again, Solquist. I'm, I'm not. I'm not doubting he's not. He's lo I'm not saying he's loafing it or he's not giving an effort. He's just not producing. And yeah. I'm not sure exactly what his role is. I don't believe he's a great screener, park in front of the net, get a greasy kind of goal. If you're if you're looking for that, Spalacy's better at that role, I believe. Plus, Spalacy's decent on the, on the faceoff circle. 
I even think a guy like Rosborough I would prefer to Solquist. If Solquist was producing, and this is his second year here, uh, 11 career points, I'm not sure what is screaming um, to give Solquist so much of an opportunity here. And so that, again, it's, it's getting to a point beyond confusing to me. It's, I'm getting kind of angry about it. Uh, yeah. And so I would, I would replace Miller, or at least, I mean, if put Miller with Crookshank and Kupka, those are his regular line mates. Um, I realize that yeah. you want that you now, want Miet. I, I like the idea of splitting up Mietin and Cranola between the two units because they're both used in similar role on these power plays. So I'm not saying put Mietin with Cranola and Okabe on the power play, but either either replace Miller with Ingram, just put him with the Crookshank Kupka line, or have him be a third guy on that Cranola Okabe line and have Cranola take the draws on the on the on the power play situations. And I would also, I would probably swap out Lutke with Treble. Either that or maybe if you want to put Lutke, keep, keep Crookshank, Kupka, and Mietnin, and then just put Lutke with, with uh, Treble instead of having just one D, have two, but have one be kind of an offensive-minded one and have one have a stay-at-home type of guy just as insurance for a Lutke turnover or, you know, Peart-esque uh, uh, turnover. So... I'm not just complaining about the power play. I am trying to give some suggestions as what I would do. And the fact that you go 0 for 8 uh, on Friday and then you trot out the same exact units on Saturday, that's what frustrates me is well, an inability then... to really be willing to change things up when they're, when they're not working. And I think, yeah, again... And, and then not only that, it was the whole team. Like, there were zero changes made from Friday's lineup right. to Saturday. And it's like... What did you see in Friday's lineup that was like, oh, yeah, all these people should go the exact same time again? Like, something yeah. needed to change. This is the first time I think that I've actually questioned some of Lars- Larson's decision, other than just, like, when it comes to, like, the power play stuff. Um, But it was like, like, I would have liked to see some new uh, skaters out there to try to generate m- maybe something a little bit more, you know, firepower or, you know, and I didn't think anybody like played so standout on Friday that they needed to to go ahead and you know put them back out on Saturday. Um, but you know, going back to the power play, I, I just want to make a point that, and this is where you know I feel like it might be hypocritical because I mean it's not like Miller's lighting up the stat sheet. You know, obviously he only has two goals on the season, and <laughs> none since November. I think his last goal was back on what November 11th, I think against Western Michigan. So, I mean, it's true. 10 points is more than four though. I mean, and and that's the thing is that, you know, when I was looking at the, at the shootouts and like, I mean, those shots were just powerful laser shots that were just accurate. And I think that's what we're missing on the, on the power play. And I don't think Sulquist gives that to you. And so none of that, but just are like not even trying it. And I don't even think in our career, we've even seen Miller on the power play. He's always been a penalty kill only type of guy. So it's just, you know, give the guy a chance. Um, So I don't know. I, I had one other point that I wanted to make, but I don't, I don't know if you wanted to jump in anymore about the power play. 
Uh, yeah, not about the power play. I, I did want to note, I was also surprised the first, the first shift in overtime on Friday appeared uh, to the point Okabe with Kupka up front. I was, I'm like, where is Cranola? Cranola is your best player with Anhorn yeah. out now. Cranola is your best player. I even went back to see, did he take the last shift in regulation and he was gassed? Uh, he did. He was on the ice for that last breakaway for Miami. If you remember for like 30 seconds to go, mm-hmm. that pass he stopped. And Cranola was like the main back checker. He like was hauling ass and like made, try to make a poke check at the end. But Okabe was also on the ice at the same time with him. And you had a two minute break between, you know, after the end of regulation I, and but just again, Puka and Okabe. When are they ever playing together in a three-on-three? I I, I struggle to even give the three-on-three overtime that much credence. I don't care that much. But those were just that was a, a pairing that uh, made me scratch my head a little bit. And then the I don't know maybe the plan was to get Cranola some time with Okabe like later on, and it all kind of uh, was screwed up because he took a penalty right right away in over or there was a penalty right away in overtime uh, and then a four on four situation. So you really couldn't plan out three on three couplings, basically that entire overtime. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, these, that's one issue. And last week I remember mentioning that I'm, or I said that I'm pro Larson and I, I stand by that. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, I I'd like to expand on that a little bit. I, I think there's, there's two, I mean, a college coach wears a lot of different hats. And I think comparing it to the pros, the college, a college hockey coach is essentially the GM and the coach because he's yep. assembling the roster as well as coaching the roster. And I think at this point, I'm, I think he excels more as a GM type. I think he's a very good recruiter. He's kept that up. Uh, this is his fifth year. And... Not only I think is he is he kept up his recruiting um his the traditional sense of the word, but he's you know I thought played the transfer portal quite well, particularly this year um played that very well with Ann Horn Crookshank and Bassey coming over uh this year and getting also some some um contributions from Cockrell and Donahue in the past as well, so from the assembling the rosters uh angle i think he's he's above average uh and and i think that's that's key that that means a lot i I think in this conversation and then also just like the intangibles and how that like players buy into him i think he's a player's coach in the sense that you look at he has been active getting players in the transfer portal to come to st cloud he's also done a pretty good job retaining players not a ton of players have bolted St. Cloud. There's been some fringe guys like Rocco last year and, and Lamru, the, the third goalie. So there's been some guys, maybe I'm forgetting some, but no real impact, high-impact players um, have chosen to leave, which not you know a lot of programs can't say that. The fact that you know, players have a good season and then they want to springboard that into a, a you know, sexier school or, uh, or whatnot. So he's, he's done a good job being able to keep players uh, in the program as well. And I think that speaks to his likability and the, the fact that the players trust him. And so I, I have no doubt that the 
the locker room aspect of a coach's role is that he's doing a good job there too. Um, it's just when it comes to X's and O's though, and when it comes to certain personnel decisions, they're talking about power play issues. We talked about power play issues last year. And remember they had a 30% plus rate last year, but they went into a funk right around this time last year as well. And, and so I I do, I, I think it's reasonable to criticize him for some of these decisions. Uh, And I don't think it should be beyond the pale to do so. Uh, I like Larson. I don't think he's, I I wouldn't want another coach in in the position right now, but at the same time, I don't think he's Scotty Bowman and that's fine. Uh, But I I was kind of frustrated with some of these roster decisions and, and special teams units uh, construction wise this weekend. So, but, but I want to say overall, I do, I am pro Larson. I'm a fan. I like him. I think we're in good hands. But uh but yeah, I think he's he has some room for improvement as well. And that's the other thing too. I mean, this is his fifth year, like I said. I almost think it's maybe even too early to judge an overall like is yeah. he a great coach? Because there's still guys on this roster that were not that were that were committed prior to him taking over the job. Meyer, Miller, Bushy basically I would say with the, COVID, the probably guys. a majority of them are. I think it's just, I mean, I did some digging too, like Cranola, that was Larson. It's basically like Meyer, Miller, and Bushy, I think, are the only ones. Oh, really? Um, ah, I would have guessed more. That, that committed prior to him taking over the job. So um, so next year will certainly be the, the first year where the entire roster is guys that he, that he had a hand bringing in here. Um, and obviously to his assistants as well, Shyak and... Uh, Oliver in the past, now Enga, and everyone that he's worked under, they obviously have a hand in, in recruiting too. It's not just Larson doing all that work. Um, he's got some help, uh, thank goodness. Yeah. But uh, I think the staff is is doing a good job, particularly from a recruiting standpoint. Um, and I think largely from a from X's and O's, I think he's not he's not losing games. I I, I don't think he's a bad coach, like an in game coach. But there are struggles with making adjustments and I think some of these, like said, special teams assignments can be a little frustrating at times, but I did want to kind of throw that out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think especially in college with recruiting cycles and whatnot, it's, you, you, you got to give more time to accurately kind of assess everything. Um, maybe a little bit less when it comes to how the program was left, because obviously the program was left when Moscow left it, it was in really good shape. Right. Whereas like you look at Colorado college when it was left, it was just absolutely. It is on him to, to take that forward momentum and keep propelling it in the right direction. Very true. Um, Very true. And he, and he has done that in a, in a school, let's be honest, St. Cloud is not the easiest school to recruit to. I mean, you're in, you're in a, you're blessed to be in a good recruiting footprint, you know, being able to get Minnesota guys, obviously you have competition with the other in-state schools, but um, it's different than say Omaha or Arizona state, somewhere that doesn't have a natural hockey footprint for players. But he's made a lot of connections over the years. You know, his times in Duluth and his times in the junior ranks. Uh, uh, he's been able to establish a good rapport among, you know, hockey 
hockey players and coaches through a lot of different levels. Uh, but you know, facility-wise, uh, St. Cloud's not not the jewel of the state uh, in any in any sense of the word. So it's we shouldn't underplay the fact that yes, he was handed off. He was handed the keys to a pretty nice car when he got here, but it was up to him not to crash that car. And so far he hasn't done it and credit to him to do that. But, and that's tough to gauge too. Like you said, it it depends on what, you know, David Carl wins a national title with Denver last year. He was offered the Anchorage job. I think the year or two before he's an Anchorage guy, like he grew up in Anchorage. So they, they offered him the job and he turned it down. Probably good decision on him because Anchorage soon folded up the program and now they're back, but kind of on life support. Would we be talking about, I, I do like Carl. I think he's, he's grown on me. I, at first I thought, again, this was sort of a, you know, he, he was fortunate to fall into such a position, but he's, um, he's shown that he's, I think a high quality coach, but our perception of Carl as this, you know, young wizard coach, national champion already at barely 30 years old, I think the perception of that would be a little different if he had been uh, slugging it out in Anchorage uh, (laughs) rather than Denver. So the context and how you inherit inherit the program that you get uh, certainly tells part of the story as well. But again, thumbs up on Larson, but room for improvement as well. But, you know, when you're talking about being a player's coach, I bet being a player's coach is, you know, fulfilling on promises or not giving things away or being too hard on players or whatnot. Maybe that's why Selquist has such a long leash on the power. Right. Um, is yeah, because it goes of both that ways. Reason. It goes both ways. So it's a double-edged sword when it comes to that. So Yeah, and not, um, being, able to, and be, not being able to get up for some of these games or playing down to the uh, opponents like we've been mentioning. I mean, part of that is on... The onus is on the players as well. I mean, the captains mm-hmm. in order to, to motivate their players, um, you know, that, that plays a factor in it too. So it's not just the coach's responsibility to, to shake up the team. It's just important that someone's doing that. And I'm not saying that's not happening. Very difficult for us to gauge that. We're not in the locker room, um, but um, it's fun to speculate though. It is. That's why like we have said, this podcast. I, I've always, like said last year, like he should there. I think he'd get one, Flipping the buffet table, you get one of those a year. You yeah, can't overdo bullet, it. Yeah. I'm not even sure if he's a one a one flip guy. Um, if he hasn't done it, that maybe you you get swept in North Dakota. That was maybe my you, nickname maybe in college. It. Was a one flip guy. That was I was so good at tippy cup. Just that was just I cheated. The thing is, I don't. Like, that, I'm not sure if you're kidding. And that's no, I'm not. I was I was so good, but I cheated. Here is. How you do it, by the way, here's how you want to cheat it, uh, if you want to cheat at uh, Tippy Cup, um, is is keep your non-hand, like, hovering right by, so it, like, might accidentally graze your hand, so you can go ahead and just have it set up, and be like, nope, I didn't touch it, what are you talking about? I mean, that's the, that, so... So that's uh that's my trick right there. So yeah, oh, you know, my good my my non hand and and then you're able to kind of guide it into where you're sitting. It's like perfect go. It's like oh I'm so good at that. No, nope, I do. Uh, so um 
you know, we didn't go like goal by goal as we normally do, probably because it'll be really incredibly dark. As we normally depressing. do. We're always <laughs> um, sprawl we're sprawling in other in every direction. There's there's no structure fair. here. Um, I really wanted to say I, I can't remember what goal it was. I think it was the first goal maybe on, on Friday where it was just a lack of effort by us, and I think it was Miet and was just staring at the puck where it was like three huskies were staring in the crease. And Miami was able to bat it in. It was just like, like give a little bit of effort there, guys. Um, Bunch of chances was, for for Bassey to to, to stop. A couple of rebounds there, but as you said too, no no clearing, no help, no Even help. The the bodies were there, but no yeah. one was clearing the puck. So, um, you know, one thing I want to point out here is, you know, we were talking a little bit about Miller. Um, I mean, along that same line. That is it time to break up Miller, Crookshank, and Kupka? I mean, right now, so um, Kupka, no points in his last five games. His last goal was on the 14th. So, what was that against CC? I think, yes. Right. Um, Miller, no points in his last six games. Um, and then uh, Crookshank, one point in his last five, but his last five on five goal was also on the 14th against Colorado college. I mean, that line I thought was fairly invisible. I mean, let's face it. Like I thought the only one who really stood out in a positive way would be Cronwell, um, on the weekend. You know, when it comes to forwards. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I, I thought Miller, Crookshank, Kupka, maybe it's time to, to put them in a blender. Let, let's move them all around. Let's just see if something right. else. What, can what is that? What does that fun. mean? Who are you? Who are you putting with those guys? If you're gonna spread them around, like what what sort of players are you seeing that you think deserve maybe a step up in, in the line positions? I remember the Gopher series and the CC series. I think we both agreed, definitely the Gopher series, that the Crookshank line was the best line for them. Uh, I've been impressed with Kupka. Um, I, this 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 whole time too uh, the last couple of weekends I thought he was fine in Duluth. Um, I guess I'm saying I would not break them up, but you're you're making a decent point that they haven't been lighting up the score sheet here or even even uh, making it to the score sheet in in most cases here. So making a compelling case, it's just um, when I when when you say something's got to change, give me a give me a suggestion. What what would you do? Um, I mean, putting on a line, someone on a line with Crookshank, um, you know, that's a promotion for a guy like Rogers sure. or, you know, someone, whoever there. that you put Okabe there, flip Okabe and put Miller with, uh, with Cronulla. See what happens there. That could be a feisty line. That could be a fun line. So that would be Mietnin, Cronulla and Miller. Yeah, if you want Mietin there, I kind of would rather have Mietin back down to where he was with Ingram. On that, that also really, I mean, aside from the Bemidji series, that one game, I guess, the times that they've put them together, I don't think has produced any goals. So I, I don't know if that's the Mietin and Ingram pairing. Mietin and Ingram? Again, I like that in principle, but it really hasn't happened except for that Bemidji series. So, 
And what's like what's happened to Grantishan? Like, is he hurt or something? I mean, it's yeah. not like he's he was like knocking my socks off, but he had some decent play in the first half of the season. Seems like we haven't seen him in months, and I haven't heard anything injury wise. Um, you know, a coin went a couple of months before cracking the lineup again and scoring a goal in Duluth, kind of a greasy goal, but I mean, he's been back in the lineup. Marks. You had uh, yeah, Molinar. Sean's last no game was this week. December 10th against Miami. So nothing in the, in the second half. Um, maybe there's an injury there. Right. Uh, again, it's these bottom six guys that we're talking about have been sort of cycled through Rogers and whatnot. Rogers has been playing better. He had that good Denver series. Um, We've both been more impressed with uh, Spellacy, uh, you know, the last couple of months, to the point where I would I would think about putting him on the on the uh, power play as well. I think he 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 plays that greaser type, um, or he fits that role. I think better mm-hmm. than Salquist does. Uh, and Rosborough has been impressive as well. If if you know, even though he might not be lighting up the score sheet either, I think he's been a nice sort of energy uh, forward for the team as well. So Rosborough like had a couple of times where I was like, when did this guy get so fast? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, he's got some jump to him. That what six, four frame that he has. I'm not sure. I mean, I think he played, I mean, he's, he's got center experience. I don't know if they've really played him much there this year. I, maybe the, that St. Thomas game, the first game of the year, I can remember him taking some draws, but um I mean, he's a guy that could take a face off for you as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got some options. It's not like uh, it's we, we got Wayne Gretzky uh, uh, knocking at the door here, not getting uh, playing time. But I mean, that's true. <laughs> but uh, right. it's these kind of things like, yeah, you go 0 for 8 on the power play on Friday. And a grant, let's say 0 for something 5 because because you, you, a lot of those are like 15 second power plays. So let's just say 0 for 5. But still, I mean, you had a two uh, two man advantage for one of those. Um uh, full two and, and it just wasn't where you it wasn't didn't have any chances and like, like and, and now i went to i i watched all these and then i went to the ustro advanced metrics we're talking about that last weekend because i wanted to see how they're counting shot attempts in the power play they in principle are supposed to um, separate those out from even strength all they listed was two shots on goal on the on the power play on friday that's wrong they didn't sh- they didn't list any shot attempts they just listed the shots on goal they had more than two uh, but it wasn't that much more than two, and I was more—I was more interested to know what the shot attempts were, and they didn't list them because I was just—I don't think they really generated much uh, shot attempts. You had that one play where they finally pass it over to Salquist, and he's got a wide open look on the yeah. right side, yeah. and he takes a takes a second, and then p- tries to force it in the middle with Okabe. He's got like two guys right right around him. And it, it results in no shot attempt. And it's just like, if you're on a power play, you have to have a defined role, I think. There is some movement, and it is a bit of jazz out there. But you have, I think you got to get the fact of, if you have an opportunity like that, you got to have a guy that's willing to shoot. I, I get the whole, like, I don't want to be a selfish player. You got an open look. Don't try to pass it to the guy that's got some coverage on him. You have the open look. Take it. You might not score. I'd rather you throw a, a decent shot on net there than try to force a, a thread a needle uh, and don't even don't even get a, a shot attempt and then have a Miami get a clear on that. I believe that was on the five on three. And that was just a killer. There was another point where Solquist he was 
I think it was a poor call, but he was called for a high stick, playing the puck with a high stick. Oh, God. I, it'll yeah, look like it was low. But again, another killer where it just stops the play and don't even make it easy. Don't even, don't, don't put that to the ref to decide whether or not it was high stick. Just let the puck drop in front of you and then continue on uh, cycling the, the play there. It's just those were killers. And again, I, yeah, I hate I mean, he wasn't lumping it on Sulquist, but like, right? Um, so we promised we were going to talk about the shootout or I promised just because again, I apparently hate myself. Um, I don't think I've witnessed a worse shootout in the history of anything. Just the amount of just flubbed chances on overhandling. And I don't know if it was bad ice or what the issue was. Um, but it was, I mean, we had like four or five people just go down, try to over stick handle. It was just easy. Um, Bassie yeah, well, did come up huge, uh, but a couple of times also they were pretty weak shot chances as yeah. well. It's like what are like we half doing? half the total attempts didn't even get a shot on goal, or I mean, sixty maybe sixty percent got shots. I think the other forty either flubbed it, didn't even get a shot off, or flung it wide or high. It was. It was an embarrassing, like, it's not just in a hockey sense. It was, like, an embarrassing sports event. Like, this is right. exhibit A as to why shootouts suck. Sorry. <laughs> I know I'm uncool. I don't like the shootout and yelling. yelling That's actually the, the norm. That's actually the norm is to not like the shootout. But, I mean, well, again, this why is painful, Meyer painful. number, or why is Miller number 10 on the right. list? Solquist I mean, under Solquist, under Rogers. I mean, it was like, Meyer. yeah, it's like, what do you, <laughs> like, finally, when Micah came out, I did yell at my TV, finally, like, finally, you give him a chance. And I know he's been snake bitten, and I know he only has two on the year, but we've seen him be able to make those shots before. And sure enough, he goes two for two and uh, gets both of them. So, um, you know, to really seal the four points here for the Huskies. But uh, just an embarrassing display there on the shootout. Um, so uh, who do you have for your player of the weekend? What's, who's we, didn't really, we didn't really talk about him much. Uh, and we didn't really talk about the Saturday game really in particular. Um, maybe that's for the best, because uh, a lot of it was the same as we mentioned, kind of the same lineup, even down to the goaltenders. Yeah, um, and this is the first time this year that uh, Bassey gets both starts, which was mildly surprising. I mean, I thought both goalies played wor- played pretty bad in Duluth. I, mm-hmm. I did think Caster was worse uh, than Bassey, but Bassey didn't play all that well either. Um, I wonder if it was the ten saves. That kind of was like Larson was like, okay, you can go again on Saturday. Uh, again, making coaching decisions based off shootouts. Uh, <laughs> I guess you're you're advocating it because you want Miller to step up in in the role that he's had based on the shootout goals. So maybe it's not crazy, but I'm basing it on the shot that he has, not necessarily <laughs> yes. that. No, I, I'm, on I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Uh, rewind the podcast and be me pontificating about two options for putting Miller on any one of these units. But um, 
not just the shootouts, but I mean, there was a couple of. I, mean, I mentioned the the last minute breakaway for Miami. Uh, yeah. Is that Friday? Yeah, it was Friday. It was Friday. Uh, and several through the weekend, three, four, five break uh, breakaway chances for Miami, which tells you a little bit the looseness of this defensive core. But uh, Bassey was there to stop every one of them. Um, Which on the flip side, I just want to say, again, we are a terrible odd man rush team. And that's so weird for us to say. I think we had plenty of chances on the odd man rush, and we just squandered. Well, and especially on Saturday. It was a one nothing yeah. game. And you just knew. It's just like, if you're not going to be able to score a second one, and then when they pull the goalie, it's like, you got to pop in on an empty netter here because you just it was the... The least surprising empty or extra attacker goal for Miami there to tie it up at the end. It's just the the inability to add on, you know, against a against a struggling team was was a, a real killer there. I, but, I still uh, I still had faith we were going to do it, which it was maybe my fault, but I still had faith even as it was one nothing. All right, we're going to pop it in an empty netter, two nothing win that wasn't really that good of a two nothing win, but I'll take it. And then, of course, they tie it, and I'm like, of course this happens. <laughs> yeah, and so there was uh, and I, I, I did quibble with that first goal from Miami on Friday with Bassey, but overall, I do think Bassey was, was, was very good this weekend. Um, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering how the goaltending is, is going to be, you know, you got the bye week coming mm-hmm. up, so you don't have to make a decision right away, but do you go back to uh, one guy gets one night uh, when you play uh, North Dakota coming up here? I'm not sure. The fact that there is a bye week might sort of preclude any sort of momentum that Bassies can continue just to get you know two nights uh, in a weekend. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Uh, and but I I think he he definitely stepped up here and. Played very well. I'll say that Pearson played well for Miami as well. It was a good battle of the goaltenders this weekend. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to give it to Bassey. And, and part of it, too, I think is kind of lifetime Oscar winner um, philosophy here because I haven't, because he hasn't played a full <laughs> weekend this year, I really haven't had a good opportunity to give him the POW. And cumulatively, the through that first half. That's right. Pacinoing it um, because uh, those uh, there was a lot of great Bassy performances. What three, four shutouts um, before this weekend? That I think you can add that factor to why I'm gonna award the POW to Bassy this weekend. How about you? Well, um, it is I guess uh, sponsored unofficially by Go Huskies Woo and. Um... And now I'm trying to find exactly uh, where it was. Tap dance, tap dance. Insert Perfect. the elevator music. Do, 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 do. What is it? Uh, what do they have on KFAN? Is it Match Game? They have the Match Game theme playing right now. Do, do, do. Yeah, maybe. Do, 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 do. Um, I, uh, okay. Yeah. He, uh, he says Bassy as well. And he got an assist too. I forgot to mention that. Uh, oh, I think I forgot. I, I didn't notice that. Which goal was it? That was Mietnin's goal. Uh, Mietnin's goal. Yeah. The uh, one that was right after the power play. Uh, yep. Um, I missed that one. 
he was uh, not uh, strong overall and the least of our issues. And he, obviously in the shootout, going 12 for 12 on saves is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, and I it's a clean sweep for Bassey, although I do feel he did get a little bit rattled there in the uh in saturday's game or like at the end of saturday's i felt like he was calm and in position for most of the game and then as you know they pulled the extra attacker i felt he did get a little bit rattled and a little helter skelter in there and it was out of position and obviously we didn't clear when we had the chance um and therefore um you know we kind of let three points walk away there and really obviously most importantly the pairwise implications like this is a team that we're supposed to win um against especially at home and um you know what could have been disastrous um if we did end up losing in overtime or whatnot he came up big so yeah i think uh, giving him the player the, the pow is the uh is the right choice now you had mentioned you think that the Penrose uh, is a pipe dream. I think that was your exact quote. Um, the chances of a Penrose are you don't see it uh, we'll, anymore. We'll have to rewind the tape, um, but uh, I I like the, I like that the line. Sounds so like me, so I'm going to say it. yeah. Because I would tend to agree, even though mathematically it's certainly still possibility. I would almost say it's more of a possibility that the Huskies finish out of home ice than it is yeah. them getting a Penrose at this point, which to say mm-hmm. is also a long shot. They're still up by nine points. Nine points. Nine points? Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. Over Duluth. Although technically I think you would have to give North Dakota because they have games in hand. I think that they might... Anyway, you're ten. Actually, ten points. I'm sorry. It's erase the whole nine bit. I'm sure you're gonna uh, put in the Ferris nope, Bueller. Stand in there. Uh, Screw it. Okay. Ten points ahead of Duluth. Twelve uh, in front of Dakota. Again, Dakota's got a couple of games in hand that they'll make up this weekend. But so that's like a three game gap between those two, and we just got six games left. St. Cloud does. So I think it would still be unlikely that that's gonna happen. But the one well, the perspective is, it. I mean, we got two games against Minnesota Duluth, two games against North Dakota. That's true. <laughs> so that's true. I mean, that's a yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, either way, it, yeah. and you're only two points behind Denver. But like I said, I think with Denver's schedule and they have the two games in hand themselves, um, I I don't see. I don't like see if Saint, if Saint Cloud played Denver still. I would give them more of a chance because then you'd have a direct chance to make up points and you would by sweeping Denver, not only do you get six points, you prevent Denver from getting any points themselves, but you're done with Denver. Um, so, and right now, technically third place, they're tied with Western, but right now Western has one more regulation win. So if the season would end today, Western would actually have the tiebreaker on St. Cloud and, if Omaha gets one win next weekend, they play at home against CC. So I would say that that's likely that they're at least going to get one win. St. Cloud would be in third place or excuse me, would be in fourth place. So we were a couple of weeks ago after the Denver series, first place. Um, now we're thinking at fourth place, which was both of our preseason predictions. 
all season. <laughs> we're kind of like, yeah, we were so yeah. wrong on that. We might be right dead on after the dust settles. We'll we'll see. I mean, we still got time, and you can certainly you certainly have the uh, ability to to take care of hopping Omaha because you play them coming up. Um, but done with Western, done with Denver. Those are the other two teams that are above you right now. So, yeah, I think that the Pero, or the Penrose rather, uh, it is not. I don't think St. Cloud's going to win that um, win it this year. Uh, and you, you got to kind of fend off a couple of hard charging teams. Although again, you know, yeah. Duluth just got swept to, to Western. Any momentum they may have had after sweeping the Huskies uh, might be dead again after a home sweep to the Broncos. And who knows what team North Dakota is going to show up. They got Denver this weekend, which should be a decent series. Um, so still got to keep the uh, eyes on the prize here. At least, at least you got to wrap up home ice. And to, to think that we yeah. go from what three weeks span of driver's seat in the Penrose to let's hold off Duluth so we get home ice. It's, little uh, uh kind of my, i'm getting whiplash from the <laughs> from the difference there so let's look then uh nationally when it comes to uh you know what's that uh the national tournament picture um here we are for sinkers and floaters and um yeah I, well i guess I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to just talk about any other results kind of piqued your interest over the weekend uh, in the national scene? Or do you just want me to go right into sinkers and we can kind of touch on the weekend at hand? Yeah, I mentioned just NCHC wise, just, you know, mentioned that Western five out of six points uh, in Duluth. Um, Good weekend for them. Uh, Colorado College ended up scoring on Magnus Corona breaking a, a long shutout streak. I correct myself. I said he had four shutouts last year against CC and then one this year. He actually had three shutouts last year. They put their backup in, in the last game against CC, but Crone got a shutout the previous season. So it was five straight shutouts versus CC for him, but it actually spanned three separate seasons, actually. Gotcha. So, quick fact check. But so he did give up a goal. However, did... it was a penalty <laughs> shot. So uh, he <laughs> nice still has it, I guess, give it up. A, pounds, yeah, it was. But... It was a very good. He's got a couple of, like, highlight real goals mm-hmm. this year. He had that one against Omaha uh, earlier this year. He's, yeah, he's an impressive player for them. But uh, but Denver taking care of business there uh, against a rival um, I wonder what, in I CC. wonder what it's like having teams that take care of business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I bet that's nice. I, I guess I don't get that. Uh, I don't get that luxury. <laughs> that's right so uh we kind of summed up the nchc um situation there with our little penrose talk and and where st cloud fits into that it's just uh more so than any of the standings you just you gotta start winning games i mean yeah four game winless streak right now i haven't won a road game uh in this calendar year uh i haven't won a road game since uh miami that first miami game that back in early december so, uh, got a four game road trip coming up. Um, I don't, I'm not going to call it a season defining road trip because we're hoping that there's NCAA tournament, uh, games coming, but 
seeing as this team's been struggling on the road and it particularly struggling on the road against these two teams, you haven't won in North Dakota against North Dakota uh, in several seasons. You just got swept by Omaha last year um, out there. So that's, uh, that's not somewhat, uh, not a place that you've won uh, recently as well. Um, so this will be a gut check for the Huskies. And kind of totaling up, going over Larson's era, his last four years, 27, 25, and 7. So basically a 500 team in the second half uh, the last four years. Very good, very good second half in his first year, except for the last two games, which he lost. We're not going to mention those. But... Um, <laughs> But the last four years, it's it's been kind of a he's been building up really good first halves. The second halves, however, have been more of a 500 ish uh, story. So hopefully that can right the ship and turn it around here. But this will be a very tough, I think, four game stretch coming up. And we'll 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 preview that more in depth next week. Obviously, you got the the bye week this weekend. But just wanted to throw it out there because. It's essentially going to be playoff hockey here on out right. because Duluth right. and North Dakota, they're, they're playing for their lives here. Right. But Western Michigan, again, took care of business against Minnesota Duluth, whereas the Huskies haven't, you know, haven't been able to take care of business here as of late. Um, mild controversy um, within the whole pairwise that got the uh, UConn AD all up in arms uh, about uh, the... Uh, they're they're gonna throw out all games uh, that Stonehill played, <laughs> so they're not gonna be factoring in the pairwise anymore. And apparently, UConn's AD uh, took to Twitter and was unhappy with that decision that they were making those changes. And uh, you know, now it's not gonna. Well, I I can't even remember all what was said, but he was upset that now there'll be no need to play those types of smaller teams and we're not going to <laughs> and, and I don't know it's it's a whole big non-issue because Stonehill obviously is only played a handful of division one games and including them in the pairwise is kind of weird anyway and if we include them uh UConn's RPI drops anyway so I don't know why the UConn AD was so upset about it in the first place so it was just kind of a bizarre exchange on Twitter yeah, it's. I read two articles on CHN that were essentially these exasperating. Ugh, I, I, we have to cover this. <laughs> that it was that, and then it was the Connecticut tournament. There was a rumor that Quinnipiac was keeping other schools' fans out of the building because they hosted it, <laughs> That's which great. apparently, which apparently was sourced from Twitter. Is if if it's sourced on Twitter, it's a non-story. Ignore it. Don't. Even, it's Twitter is a bar, and the people who flock it are drunks at a bar. You don't source stories <laughs> from bar drunks. That's what Twitter is. So stop that. It's yeah. Stonehill should not have been in the pairwise. Shouldn't have been included in the pairwise. Um, you can make the argument that they should have made that decision a long time ago, but. It's a non-issue, and and I, I don't care who is who is making an ass of themselves on Twitter because everybody does. That's what Twitter <laughs> is. What so I will say I did uh, check out Stonehill. They played Long Island this weekend, and they played those games on ESPN Plus. 
like afternoon games and I was around. And so I watched them and yeah, not only are they not officially a D one team, according to pairwise, but they don't look like a D three team either. Uh, what nine to three and nine to one, I believe were the scores, even like their uniforms look like a knockoff of a real team. <laughs> the Saturday game, they, uh, even the announcers, cause it's long Island is doing the games and it was, they were down nine to one and Stonehill got a power play with like a minute and change left in the third period. And they took a timeout. They took a timeout to set up their power play down go. eight uh, to Long Island, and the announcers are like, what are they doing here? Uh, it, it's just, I mean, it was shocking, the amount of incompetence. I mean, we can complain about St. Cloud's performance this weekend, but, oh boy, Stonehill's got a long way to go. Um, uh, at least they're putting, like, a halfway decent effort in the women's side. They already have a conference. We'll talk about uh, the, the St. Cloud women in a little bit. But um, they're already in a conference themselves and, and playing decent. This is their first year, um, uh, first full year for D1, I think, in all their sports. I think that's why they sort of rushed this with the men. They really didn't have any plan um, and clearly unable to fill out uh, a D1 schedule. They're playing most of their schedule because they're still D2, and there still is D2 teams in hockey. They just don't play a D2 championship. So you can either play D1 teams or D3 teams. You kind of play a mix between the two of them. So they're playing other teams around the Northeast Post and St. Anselm and, and teams like this, uh, and then getting Long Island for a couple of games, and I think they got Lindenwood maybe this weekend or next. It's coming up. Circle that one on your calendars, but uh, <laughs> not super uh, optimistic for the Stonehill Skyhawks men's hockey team based on this past weekend. So as far as sinkers and floaters, um, the top seven are pretty much the same. Top eight are pretty much the same. A little bit of shuffling with uh, St. Cloud. Obviously, the two ties drop us down two spots, down to seventh. Uh, Penn State and Denver both move up to one, um, to six and five, respectively. Um, The big, you know, kind of two that jumped out to me that jumped up, uh, Michigan Tech really helping their chances. Uh, moving up two spots up to 10 now. Um, so, you know, I might want to go ahead and just pat myself uh, on the back because I did uh, predict their rise. Granted, I I predicted them to win the title. I didn't really predict them to, or the uh, CCHA title. I did not predict them to, um, you know, jump up, you know, all the way to 10 in the pairwise. So they've, uh, they've uh, moved up here quite a bit. And Washington well, State had a big weekend too, moving, you know, they've been ping-ponging around that bubble here. They moved up four spots now at 14. Still not obviously safe there at 14, but they helped their chance quite a bit. Yeah, so good weekend for you because you both had those teams in our predict the field. I do. I segment. still don't feel good about Michigan State, but... <laughs> Yeah, they sweep Notre Dame, who's back under five five hundred. Um, but there we go. Seventeen now. It's gonna but say also Michigan they State. Dropped, yeah, they dropped to seventeen. That that was the big sinker there uh, for uh, for them dropping really out of you know out of bubble area down to seventeen. Uh, I mean, it's still it's on still the bubble, on the bubble. But, yeah. um, and I still on think the, wrong the Wisconsin the rule 
Wisconsin rule has a. I mean, I was going to think that maybe Michigan State has a chance to be Wisconsin out, but they're at 15, 13, and 2. Uh, I don't think they can. If they lose. If they go zero three and one, I believe they have four more conference games left, and then the then their tournament, they're not going to be in the top fifteen if they continue to lose based on what they've done in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Whereas Notre Dame, I believe they play Michigan this weekend, um, and that's certainly something. If they like, they split against Penn State on the road a couple of weeks ago, and they moved up, I believe, three spots uh, just due to a road split. And because Michigan is at four in Paradise right now, that's a road series for Notre Dame. A road split, I would definitely see, especially if Michigan State loses their next series. Um, I could definitely see them getting back into the top 15 with that under 500 record. So that's our best hope for Wisconsin rule, I, I think, mm-hmm. is still Notre Dame. But, yeah, we'll see if Michigan State can keep this up. Um, actually, I want to I... check to see who they got this weekend. Go on. Well, I was just going to say, just for clarification and timing issues, and if you really care that much that you're looking at the pairwise as I'm talking about it, um, I did run this. I decided that I'm just going to run this in the morning, um, so this will not have any um, uh, bean pot implications. So, well, it's wrapping so, up. I'm, it's four minutes to go, and Northeastern's yeah. winning that game, and would affect things because BU's at three and, and it would help North, uh, Northeastern, obviously. It, it'll go final by the time we're done here, so we can update that. And I was off. I, Notre Dame's got Ohio State this weekend at home, uh, whereas Michigan plays Michigan State. First game at Michigan State, second game at the Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. Every year they'll play one of their games in Detroit. So just one true home game for Michigan State this weekend. But then I believe the next weekend is when Notre Dame plays at Michigan. So because Notre Dame's got Ohio State, who's also top 10 pairwise, and then Michigan as well, still on the schedule, they have the opportunity that they can rise based on splits uh, because they're playing high pairwise teams themselves. Sure. Um, and so uh, it still is a possibility with them. Uh, but also keep an eye on, on Michigan State. Right now, five teams in the Big Ten. Uh, in the field, and he's still got Notre Dame right there at 17. So uh, certainly, uh, certainly something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and then also like with Michigan Tech's ascension, um, you know Minnesota State kind of hanging around again. Like power is definitely still in the West. It definitely hasn't moved out east yet. So that's surprising to see uh, St. Thomas win um, against Mankato in, in overtime, albeit, mm-hmm. but uh, first win against Mankato for them at the uh, D1 level. And I did want to touch on Michigan Tech. I agree that they have been pretty impressive here, and I've got to think that their goaltender, Pietola, I believe he's got eight shutouts now. Um, I'm thinking he might have inside track on uh, the Richter, Richter this year. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna call it uh, uh, February 6th. I'll say Blake Pietola is going to be the, the Richter winner uh, yep. uh, this year. Uh, 19, seven and three, uh, one eighty-seven goals against with a nine thirty-two save percentage. Is it eight shutouts? Perhaps does he have nine? Ooh, nope, just eight. Just eight. Well, just when he gets to the nine, then if we'll, he gets uh, to, if I'm he not, gets to I'm nine, I'm not giving him the sound effect. He doesn't get the sound <laughs> effect if he doesn't actually have nine. It's too bad. It's too bad Bends that the eight. Rules. Eight just doesn't sound cool. You can't really do no, much. Eight, 
Eight, especially with our Minnesota accent. Eight. <laughs> Eight. Right? Um. You know, just looking at overall Michigan Tech right now. You know, you know they lost to St. Thomas, so that was kind of a um, a little bit of a little bit of a stumble there. They had a couple of bad losses. I believe they lost to Lake State too yeah. earlier in the well, year. Yeah, and then um, they had a shootout loss to to Ferris. Uh, but you know, if we just count that as a tie, I mean, their last regulation, or I mean, other than St. Thomas, then you know, Western Michigan at at, at the GLI. Um, so I mean, they've. They've had a good stretch, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, just one loss in this calendar year. So. Yeah, and then if if you go back um, in the last twelve games, um, only two losses and one tie officially. So, and yeah. at Mankato to end the regular season, the last weekend in February, yeah. home against be, Bowling, uh, yeah, home against Bowling Green next, which is a 500 team. Um, and then yeah, but I bet uh, that that Mankato series, I mean, the one just one point separates them right now in the standings. That that series at Mankato might decide. Did they did they resurrect the Mason Cup? Is that the Penrose uh, analog to in the CCHA? That's what it used to be back in the old CCHA. Whatever the conference regular season championship. Oh, who knows is, whatever Don Lucia is going to award at that? It day. might be the <laughs> Lucia Trophy. You know, okay. uh, God, who knows. Why not Damn. name it after yourself? This is my conference. Well, I think the Hockey East still has the Lamarillo Trophy. That's their regular season champ. And I wonder if Lamarillo did that when he was still, because he was like Providence's coach for years. Um, that would be such an ego move. <laughs> right? I'm going to name it after me. Um they should have. They should have named uh, the Penrose the Motsko Trophy. Like, do it the whoever won it the first year, then you name it after them for the oh, for the remainder of it. Uh, should have been playing for the Motsko Cup. Or it's just even, a rotating know. name, and it's just whatever your name. It's like a plaque, and and you, it's just removable, and then yeah. So it's a new name for the last coach that won it. And they just they keep it in a van. <laughs> and they have to they have and to they uh, keep it in the van. Yep, exactly. That's right. Depending on what type of minivan uh Patoli decides <laughs> to buy that day. <laughs> so um yeah, let's um let's flip on over quick. Talk about the let's talk about St. Clair State women's team. Um now obviously uh every year um Wisconsin has their big fill the bowl game where they play um, at the Kohl Center and uh, have uh, record attendance. So they had 14,000 in change uh, there for the uh, St. Cloud State and uh, Wisconsin game. And um, I will say that they did definitely get a show. And uh, that show came from the uh, St. Cloud State goaltender uh, pitching a shutout there and with a one nothing win. Uh, big upset there. So uh, big props up to that uh uh, to the women's team and then saturday uh falling but i mean a three to two i mean that was a a, a tight game um so just uh just a stellar weekend all around um uh for the huskies women's team uh were you able to catch any of those games 
yeah, caught the uh, caught the Friday game, or excuse me, the Saturday game. Um, all of that, actually. Uh, and I did not catch the Friday game. I, I'm going to say, instead of fill the bowl, how about pack the bowl? I like that as far as a, a, a weed uh, <laughs> double entendre. Um, pack the bowl, dude. Going on the co- <laughs> I can't even do it straight they, face, but... <laughs> do they... Uh, I don't even know. Does Wisconsin have legal weed? I don't think they do. I, you would know more than I would. Uh, not in those, in that, that why, area, why would I uh, know? Because you're closer. You're right next door. Oh, it's time zone away. Uh, but, yeah, so just think about the marketing uh, uh, opportunity there. But, uh, so, this was the second largest attendance at a women's game, at a women's game in history. The number one, the only college time they hockey. cracked 15,000. College hockey. Right. Yep. The only... Uh, the only one larger than this was a 15,000 plus attendance also at one of these fill the bowl uh, games also against St. Cloud State uh, 2017 I believe. I think the t- I was looking at the list the NCAA had I think the top 5 attendance records in NCAA are all Wisconsin games at the Kohl Center. So it's whenever I think they've done this 8 times I think the article I read uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if all 8 are the top attendance marks in in women's uh, college hockey history so really impressive to see that kind of turnout i mean that puts the men's attendance to shame for (laughs) sure uh and yeah i got a bit of a break st cloud did on that friday game there was a goal uh taken away from because of a a good challenge it was a offsides that negated a wisconsin goal it would have been the tying goal uh, and fortunate to get a break there. And Saturday got out to St. Cloud gets out to a lead with a one nothing gets getting the first goal. Uh, Wisconsin uh, amounting a, a three to one advantage, and then St. Cloud making it interesting with a, a nylon goal late, about five minutes to go. Both nights pretty heavy out shooting or out shot heavily by Wisconsin, thirty nine to eleven in those ranges. But as you mentioned, it's the goaltending for St. Cloud that's uh, that's really carrying them. And it's a tandem here between Chobak and Ahola. This uh, and so when they Saint when Cloud they won women they... throughout the last, I mean, better part of a decade, I would say, have had like st- stunning goaltending. Yeah. Well, and that's I think that's that's a thing with women. The women's side right now is. The goalies are just so damn good. I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to be playing Duluth coming up here. Soderberg, who's the Bulldogs goalie, she's on like, a, uh, who's the tech guy? Uh, Pietla. He's on like, a, or she's on a Pietla type season this year, with eight something shutouts herself, including one just this last game they played against Mankato. I believe it was a scoreless tie, actually. I love those. <laughs> but, um, but this, con- especially this conference too, is just got some f- fantastic goaltenders, and I think it's still going to take a while for St. Cloud to get to a offensive parity with the top end of the conference. But as we've seen with these goaltenders, you know, stealing wins against Wisconsin, saw the game, the Hall of Fame game against the Gophers earlier this year, and then even you know taking Wisconsin to another overtime game earlier, took Ohio State to a overtime earlier as well. And then you're just taking advantage, or you're, you're taking care of business against teams underneath you. 
Now, we saw the after the Friday game, they were 11th, I believe, in pairwise. And 11 teams now make the tournament for the women's side. But, uh, so I was, I was kind of interested to dig into this. This is, I mean, it's a benefit of St. Cloud playing relevant hockey late in the season, the women's team, is that yeah. now I'm really interested in following the team. I, you know, I had, I was able to watch the game because I bought the Big Ten Plus for a month to watch that gopher game, the men's gopher husky game at the beginning of January. And I had already, weeks ago, I had already set it to just cancel because you get it for a month. I just mm-hmm. said, let's just cancel it. Just want to do a month. I actually went back and I'm doing it for another month because I wanted, I want to watch the rest of the women's games because they're all on that app. It's another advantage of the big 10 plus app is you get all the women's games, all the women's WCHA games. So they have the, their TV or streaming deal is through the big 10. So I'll be able to watch. And because they play you know, they don't, the men's team doesn't play this weekend. And a lot of times St. Cloud, women will play in the afternoon before the men's games. So it's games that I can watch, which I like, and I'm, I'm kind of getting into this team. Uh, and like I said, it's these goalies that is, they're giving them a chance. I still think what I, so I was doing some reading as far as I needed some confirmation as to how many auto bids there are in, in the women's side that Stonehill, I mentioned their women's team, conference that they play in long island as well is called the northeast women's hockey alliance newha that started a couple of years ago um stonehill was a recent addition i think it was five teams when they first started it's also like saint uh is it saint anselm or it might be saint michael um it's a lot of small you know d3 schools both of them uh, saint anselm and saint michael's in okay I, I knew i was, I was honest i'm franklin pierce which i believe won it last year sacred heart and post, which is on Long Island as well. Um, and so that started, I believe, in 2019, but they were, they did not have an auto bid uh, the first few years of the conference, which is a shame. I mean, as I said, like Franklin Pierce won their tournament last year, but because they didn't have auto bid, that did not mean that they made the tournament. But I was able to verify that they do, they are getting an auto bid this year. So someone out of that conference, whoever wins their conference tournament, is going to be in the tournament. So now you have five auto bids. Five conferences, so you have five auto bids. So that means you have six at-large spots. And I just want according... to go back quickly sure. and just say the New England Women's Hockey Alliance is a pretty badass name for a conference. <laughs> I just wish it was, like... I like it. I, I need, like, a, a shorthand, like, Nuha. Maybe, maybe that. Was, yeah, was the say, maybe it doesn't. Nuha. Okay, I was gonna say Niha. I, I like Nuha because it is kind of a mouthful. I like the alliance. I thought. I think I've spoken that conference name before, and I said association. I like alliance there yeah, rather than association that's, that's cool. as the A. So anyway, they're gonna get a team out of there. It means there's six at-large teams. Um, like, like if we were to change ours to the National Collegiate Hockey Alliance, God. That sounds even like more formidable. <laughs> That's like, ah, and it's anyway. it's closer to Nacho too, like Nacha. But anyway, it's yeah, <laughs> we can workshop that. Uh, but uh, I'll talk yeah. to Heather about it at the next school yeah, yeah. board meeting. That's right. That's right. <laughs> let, let me know how that goes. 
so six at large uh, teams are selected, uh, which. So I was uh, digging on Ustra. I mean, there's so little coverage of like national women's. I mean, we're fortunate the WCHA teams will have like dedicated beat reporters. But yeah, like let's talk about some of these new hot teams. Franklin Pierce. Do you think that they have like a beat reporter that's telling us uh, their games or even Mercyhurst, who's like a you know, they've always been pretty pretty good in in the women's side playing in the CHA. Um, but it's just the coverage and just getting basic questions like the Ustro page, like the main women's page about the tournament still says it's got, they just have the four auto bids. They say nothing about the new ha. Um, that's really catching on to me right now. There we go. Um, so there thanks, we go. Thanks again for that. But there are, so Ustro ha- does have a writer, Nicole Haas, I'm going to say. Yep. Seems like I she's really on, on the she, she's finger on, on the pulse. I'm, I'm glad I found her because this was a non-robot that was knowledgeable about it. And so that's where I learned that she was very uh, confident, very clear that the new ha has an auto bid. So able to know that because of, because of her write-up. Um, but it's interesting that she's mentioning the Parawise at one point, saying that, and I, I forwarded that article to you, I don't know if you got a chance to read it, but it was interesting because she was under the impression that right now, you got Minnesota, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and, and Duluth. She and the pairwise are very strong uh, in the pairwise. And those are all, obviously, WCHA teams. And she mentioned, at that point, St. Cloud was 13th in the pairwise. This is prior to their Wisconsin series, um, and which I said they moved up to 11. But she, had, she was saying, by what, how she had been hearing the buzz uh, that she had been hearing, is that it would be unlikely for the committee to grant three at-large teams to one conference, meaning those top four that I mentioned, Minnesota, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Duluth, is that adding a fourth at-large in St. Cloud is very much a stretch. Uh, would be shocking, I think, is what her, what her wordage was. So that leads me to believe that the pairwise isn't used as dogmatically as it is in the men's side, which... And I don't know if that's in a effort to not have one super conference kind of dominate the tournament and allowing a second at large from like the hockey East. It's kind of weird. So you got WCHA. I would say the, other, the, the next best conference and has been for the last several years is ECAC Yale right now uh, is yeah. number one in pairwise. Uh, Clarkson has won a couple of national titles uh, of late. Colgate's been very good. Quinnipiac's, very good this year. So it seems like the ECAC out East is certainly better than hockey East, um, which is interesting. So uh, it, it, I'm curious about it. I kind of want to dig more into that, or if there is more politicking involved in selecting the field. And now that there are 11, this last year was the first year that the tournament expanded to 11 teams. But yeah, this that, is all, that's, th- that's also the wrinkle is that this is the first year that 11 teams are going to be in it. So well, second year, last year was as well. I mean, but this will be the yeah. first. This will be the first year that you have the fifth auto bid as well. Yeah. So, um, which one of those teams? So like CHA, a, a Long Island. The, the CHA gets an auto bid, and they only yep. have five teams. Yep, that's uh, Penn State right now is leading that uh, conference. And I said Mercyhurst is probably like the. This is weird to say the traditional power of that conference, <laughs> but Penn State having a good year as well. On the standings here at CHN, the ECAC. 
which would make sense because they they are the, the ivies and they have to overthink things. But it looks it's looking like they are using half points. <laughs> Why don't you just? Go, I mean, I'm I'm assuming that's like to do like overtime and shootout results. I'm assuming they're not using a three point system. I, I I need more clarification. This is again. I'm sort of getting into women's hockey. I've always sort of watched a game here or there, St. Clouds, and I'll watch like the national title game and, and some of the tournament games, but I haven't certainly not been uh, following it as closely as I do the men's side. And so these questions might be somewhat basic. And if you have any uh, uh, clarifications, please, by all means, email me, huskyshockeypodcast at gmail.com. But this is all to say, I do think that St. Cloud's best chance to get into the tournament is to win the the WCHA uh, conference tournament, which that's yeah, a tough task. But because yeah. um, you're gonna you're gonna have to likely play Duluth if you hang on to fifth. I mean, they play they play up in Duluth this weekend, and so you have some you have an opportunity to catch up to Duluth, but you're 14 points behind. So even a sweep there. It's not even possible. They're 14 points behind. Yeah, they can't. They can't be fourth because they only have two weekends left uh, in the regular season. So they're going to start the the playoffs on the road, and Duluth is 10 points behind Wisconsin. So unlikely that they're going to be able to hop Wisconsin. So you're looking at a Duluth playoff series up in Duluth, in addition to the two games he played with them this weekend. He got Mankato the weekend after that. To, to close the regular season. But the task is beating Duluth in a road playoff series against that goaltender that I just mentioned, Soderberg, uh, and then winning two additional games against, you know, one of, two of Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, and Ohio State. Ohio State. Most, most likely, most likely they're going to win their playoff series as well. So, no, they've beaten the Gophers this year, and they've beaten uh uh, Wisconsin just this last weekend took Ohio State to overtime, and, it, and in a in a one and done, rather than a series, it's possible. But just to get to that stage is going to be an uphill climb. But it's just it's fun that we're two weeks left in the regular season, and we're gaming out playoff scenarios for the mm-hmm. Husky for the Huskies women's team here. Excellent job by Adolski in his first year, and again. You hope that this forward momentum, which he created, it's not like this is a Larson situation where he was granted into a team on the rise. Idelski seems to be solely um, responsible for kickstarting this team into relevance. And so all the props to him uh, for, for that. But we hope that this is just the first start of that. We saw this kind of play out in North Dakota. We actually saw it didn't take that it took them a couple of years in North Dakota to get that program kickstarted. It was like a year or two of them being single digit win seasons before North Dakota finally was relevant. Uh, and then making national tournaments uh, under him before they pulled the rug out of that program. So he's even surpassing the time frame that one reasonably could have expected uh, when he took over St. Cloud. And it's just exciting uh, late in the season here that we're able to watch some important games. And then also, yeah, the shot advantage might be lopsided in these games, but they're not getting blown out. I mean, other than that North, that, that Minnesota game, uh, that Minnesota series um, from December, 
they've been in pretty much every game this year. And then, like I said, taking care of business against the lower teams and, and being competitive and stealing some of these uh, games against the, the powerhouses. It's really good to see, and uh, I'm I'm getting very much in, uh, interested here. So excited to continue to watch this uh, this development of this women's team. And and not only that, but you know, St. Cloud also the the women's team just picked up kind of a big commitment um, that uh, uh, Sydney Wolf had a nice write up on the rink live about with uh, uh, Grace Delmonico who is the leading scorer, scorer of Gentry, who is, you know, one of the one of the favorites there in the women's side. So, I mean, she'll probably play at state. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of seeing her in action to see what type and um, uh, Gentry Academy also with uh, Alexa Hanrahan is committed to SESU. So, I mean, already we're getting, I think, maybe a little bit more of a local contingent coming and really staying here, which is always have been the problem that St. Cloud has always been, you know, num- you know, fourth fiddle when it comes to the women's programs kind of in the area in, right. in history where we have, you know, have found success, but the success we found was all international for the most part, right. um, which obviously nothing bad about going international with it. But I mean, obviously, you know, with women's hockey where it is right now, you want, you know, areas of Minnesota kind of on lockdown. And I hope Adelski is kind of getting to that um, a, a little more uh, frequently with some of the big uh, commitments coming, coming here and, and playing. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see where the future of this program goes. Indeed. All right. Uh, questions. So we've got a couple of them. Some we have answered, some we have not. Um, Dan Jacobson, friend of the show, um, uh, asks, a few weeks ago, you mentioned a Connecticut college hockey tournament, um, or we talked about the Connecticut college hockey tournament, which Quinnipiac locked out fans, allegedly, uh, according to Twitter, right? Um, but that was, that was wrong, apparently. That, that was oh, just an un- I mean, unfounded was... rumor. Again, with Connecticut involved, maybe it's just this AD who's just a drunken sailor, uh, on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. Um. Uh, which two schools in Minnesota should go D1 uh, so there can be an eight-team Minnesota men's college hockey tournament? Who do, who do we need? Who do you need to make the jump? So, obviously, uh, Moorhead State, um, uh, a while ago, was trying to scratch up funds to go D1. Just, just have them pull the trigger. And uh, St. John's. St. John's, St. Cloud could always be the first matchup. No, it's got to be Johnny Tommy. Never mind. Yeah. St. John's and St. Thomas. Have them be the first matchup. Have them kick off the tournament every year. There you go. Let's see if uh, let's see if the uh, where do you go when you get too drunk and have to get your stomach pumped? I forgot what that's called. Detox. Detox. There you go. See if detox can handle another Johnny Tommy for old times. Uh, as, right. When he said, "Where do you go when you're drunk?" I was gonna say Twitter. But, uh, that's, that's, that's Connecticut, apparently. Can, yeah, that's right. Uh, I had I had actually an idea, thinking from a couple of weeks ago, um, and because we had Hockey Day in Minnesota, which has really kind of grown into a pretty pretty decent event, uh, hockey wise in the state. So hear me out. Maybe you right. do like a. I, I don't think that you 
I mean, a tournament with six teams just isn't feasible um, over a weekend. But how about like a, you kind of crib the idea from Hockey Day. Maybe, I think you do this early in the season, like October, November, maybe. Because it's going to involve like non-conference play. Type? Maybe not the first weekend of the year, but maybe, I, I don't think that would be ideal. Late October, early November. Johnny Tommy, say. first weekend of the year. And you do, you do something where, so you have six teams, three of them are in the CCHA. You try to avoid non-conference, uh, or you try to avoid conference uh, matchups. So if there's three CCHA teams, you kind of have them play one of the others. And you, so you have, I, I'm thinking you do it a weekend, Saturday, Sunday, everyone gets a home, one home game. So everyone gets a home game, and they're playing either a home and home, or you can cycle it through, I guess. Like, you don't have to, like, St. Cloud plays Bemidji the first day, and then Bemidji plays St. Cloud the second game. You could cycle through the diff- a different opponent if you wanted to. But everyone so, like, gets a we would play everyone Bemidji, gets a home and game. then the next day Bemidji would play, like, Duluth. Something like that, yes. Okay. But the thing is, thing is, though, you spread the games out in isolation. So you play one game at 1 p.m., you play another game at 4 Play another game at seven, and you have Bally's or whoever the you know they're going bankrupt. I think so. Whoever the main like MSC Fox MSC. Sports, you have one channel that covers it all day, and that's like College Hockey Day in Minnesota. Um, but you don't play the games like a, at the same time. You spread them out so everyone has a chance to see each one of them. If you do it over two days, then everyone gets a home game out of it as well, and so you're spreading the love that way. You could really go hog wild and get women involved, and you get D three involved if you wanted to, just like a a weekend of Minnesota college hockey uh, love fest. Um, it probably won't happen, but uh, I had that idea. Oh, but that's actually get... a really good idea. Like, I think Dan Jacobs still... was expecting us to make a a, a cobber reference about going D one hockey, but no, you've actually got a full fledged idea. That's actually really good. Well, there's two, there's two things. So you, I, I'm thinking Saturday, Sunday, because, because an afternoon game is involved. I think it'd be tough to do it on a Friday afternoon, except I'm just thinking now Thanksgiving weekend. You do, you do it Friday, Saturday, and just have a, a Friday afternoon game, black Friday. Everyone's, you know, turkey coma out, and they're not working. And most teams aren't playing that weekend anyway. It's kind of a natural off weekend. So that might be a decent weekend to do it if you just if you wanted to stick on Friday Saturday rather than doing a Saturday Sunday. Because I think doing afternoon games works best on the weekends, Saturday Sunday. And the other thing too is you don't want a situation where someone's playing at 7 p.m. one night and then 1 p.m. the next night. Like so, maybe whoever plays at one p.m. they just do that both days. Whoever's at four plays at four both days. You probably give the Gophers the night game because they're the Gophers and they're special and they get the prime. Well, Moscow doesn't want to play want. at weird times anyway, so he'll he'll make sure <laughs> that doesn't happen. There's that uh, as so. well. So yeah, you could do that. But and the other we, kind we of downside probably is probably need to put in an extra day of rest there as well if. We're going to have that on the line. So, The other downside I'm thinking, too, is you have two days of it. might burn it out a little bit. Like It might be better just do it one day. The thing there is, is 
three teams wouldn't have a home game out of it, but you could do it on a rotating basis. Just every other year, you get a home game out of it. Don't do it where the Gophers get a home game every year, though. That That's my only thing there. <laughs> Gophers will have to go on the road eventually gotcha. uh, with one of these. But And I was just thinking, you brought up the bean pot. <laughs> like, some of these... It's weird just how traditions can instill because if someone, if the bean pot didn't exist, never had existed, and if someone was to try to g- throw out one of these ideas, we're talking about in state tournaments or, oh, I got a really good idea for a tournament. If you, you came to someone with an idea, hey, I got an idea for a tournament. Okay, when are you going to play it? We're going to play it on Mondays in February, two of them, back to back in two, over two weeks. Like, wouldn't you want to play it like on a Friday, Saturday? No, 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 no. We're doing it one Monday and then we're coming back the next week on another Monday. It seems crazy. <laughs> like it, it yeah, obviously you can get away with it in Boston because they're all, it's not a state, it's a city that you're yeah. all four of the teams are there. So it's feasible to do that. But, but still, I, I don't like, wouldn't it be better to do it back to back days rather than two Mondays, but it's the bean pot. It's the most famous college hockey tournament ever. So something, it just became the thing and you can't change it now. So, but it's just throwing that out there. Cause it's like, yeah, the North star cup looked good on paper, but it just was yeah, turned well, out to not be a huge Execution flop was, and, was garbage. So, but yeah, maybe they just needed to do it on, consecutive mondays yeah. maybe that was the maybe that the touch was the big, yeah exactly yeah there is probably something to be said you know three three you know rotating yeah, i think you could make it work i think there's something there maybe we can workshop but, that a little bit more for a for a summer pot good uh and you had mentioned too that bean pot it, it went final with northeastern winning BU stays at three, so no change from them. But Northeastern, I believe they were at 21, up to 16, based on that win. Well, there's, BU. there's a floater right there. There's a, that might be the floater of the week, because I yeah. think that was five spots. I think that's the biggest jump. Now, that it looks like this 15 through, boy, even 20, Alaska 20. Very little separating that clump of teams. Connecticut to Alaska. Just percentage points. So, I mean, even Northeastern has a higher RPI than Connecticut, but they're actually below Connecticut uh, for an odd reason. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that, that win really kind of vaulted Northeastern, who, as you mentioned, what, what was their... What was their bottom point? 44? They're somewhere in the 40s in early January. I know. I don't know if you have your fancy chart at your uh, ready I, disposal, but yeah. But there was keep, uh, there were somewhere points. there were somewhere in the 40s, and now 16, which is not inside the line. Uh, 15 would be the line right now because RIT or. There was no Atlantic hockey team, I should say, in the top 16. RIT, they're at 18. But uh, back up to 16, and yeah, so they're back in the picture. And with uh, Levi, their goalie, uh, throwing a shutout tonight against BU. Uh, if you get him, ah, no, nope, he gave him a goal. Sorry, 3-1. to one. I knew it was 2 to no- it was 2 nothing last time I checked, but BU did score a goal on him. But still, 
Uh, he's been playing very well as of late, which is largely responsible for their bump back into relevance. But uh, quite the uh, quite the twist and turn kind of season for for Northeastern, and we'll see uh, if they can continue uh, that upward trend. Uh, yeah, you're yeah forty four um, on January second is where they were. Hi. Um, so now where are they at right now? Sixteen, according to the CHN. Sixteen, yeah, twenty twenty one to sixteen. Um, in the in the matter of a podcast recording, um, so that's and almost happened. thirty, almost gotta, thirty spots in pairwise in yeah. thirty four days. Pretty crazy. Jeez, was it okay? Was it just the loss to Bentley that did it? <laughs> uh, that, while well, Sacred Heart they also lost to. Which, I mean, Sacred Heart, I guess, isn't as bad as Bentley is. But Okay, so the, on the 19th, um, on the 19th, they were at 27. And then on the 2nd, they were at 44. Which would have been on the heels of a weekend losing at Bentley and at Harvard. I mean, Harvard's decent, but... It probably was that Bentley. I mean, December lost at Union at Sacred Heart, went to overtime to beat Long Island, uh, and then lost uh, at Bentley. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they lost one, three, seven. They lost seven out of nine at one stretch from November to that January 1st date, which is when they yeah, tanked. Or That was, they bottomed out at 44, but... Oh, back uh, back in the wind column and back sort of right on the edge of the bubble. Yep, exactly. Interesting. Um, all right. Uh, next question. Um, uh, Chris Becker, why does this theme seem to start slow so often? Certainly the last four games, but I can count 10 where we were not in the game at the puck drop. Uh, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know if I can count 10, but I mean, it's certainly up there. Obviously the two North Dakota games jump out to mind as well, but it's, I I feel like this type of season where we're kind of mid in the beginning and the opening part of the first period. And then I feel like we're a team that does make good mid game adjustments in the second period, but I just haven't seen that the last couple of weekends. Um, It just hasn't, bit us before um it hasn't been really been an issue in the in the end results up until this last four weeks or the last four games where we haven't been able to make those adjustments but i've i i don't know i don't have like the you know rip to collegehockeystats.net i don't have like the period by period breakdown um in front of me which i could probably find it's probably on chn somewhere but I feel like the second period is our best period. Maybe I'm wrong on that. That that sounds right to me too. Again, I'm I'm just, uh, I I I'm not looking at any numbers either, but just from the intuition, I I feel like that's right. And and yeah, but yeah, that's I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. There are, there are times where it seems like if the team in the first five minutes, you can kind of tell. It, are they really prepared for this game? Because there's definitely games where it's just like, yeah. 
where are they? Uh, and some, a lot of times they haven't even showed up. It's kind of been a troubling trend um, as of late. Uh, but again, let's hope they uh, turn it around. Still time to do so. All right. Um, I was able to find it. Uh, so second period is good. Third period is actually our best um, when it comes score by period. Um, we outscore by we outscore our opponents by six in the first period, eleven uh, by the second period, and seventeen in the third. I mean, that's generally a decent formula. Formula, I mean. yeah. And being, you know, uh, outscoring your opponents in each period, too. I mean, but yeah, it's not surprising that the first period is is the, the lowest uh, differential of, of, of the three. So it does sort of uh, validate our hunch a little bit. 11, 2, and 2 at home, 7, and 6 on the road. And we've got uh, four road games coming up. So buckle up. Yeah. Um, oh, Aaron, what the actual F is wrong with our special teams? I think we kind of went over that. I guess we didn't go a lot over about the penalty kill, but, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be depressed any more than I am. Um, well, that, I will say that first, because um, it was a four-on-four goal. There was one uh, opportunity for Miami. Um Trying to, I'm bringing up the box score here to to jog my memory, but where I did sort of see a box collapse a little bit, and there was yeah. some, uh, or no, it, it was the uh, it was the extra attacker goal. Um, there was uh, I can't remember who it was, but that that Waldron who scored the empty netter or the extra attacker goal on Saturday to tie it, kind of left alone, uh, and there was guys chasing another guy. Not Waldron. He was kind of left open, and he was the guy that on the doorstep picked up sort of a loose rebound, uh, kind of a loose puck situation there. So not on a penalty kill per se. It was an extra attacker goal, so you were a man short. But I did think with – but again, they had five guys in the ice there too, so it's not a traditional kill situation. But I did think that that was some, some lost coverage from there. But – um yeah, I mean, the kill didn't do terrible this weekend, but keep in mind that your opponent wasn't very good either. So, yeah, it's... Uh, I we, we gave some suggestions as far as the power play goes, and of the two units, that's the one that's way better statistically. So, uh, just don't give up goals on the, par, on the penalty <laughs> kill. That's, right. that's the big key. Uh, Jeffrey Wood, uh, thanks to Minnesota Duluth and Miami targeted pressure on our defensemen is the game plan and CHC teams will use against the Huskies. True or false? Um, that's, yeah, that's not a bad theory. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm... especially with, uh, like we said, Pierre had trouble. I mean, anytime I think he's under duress, I mean, that's where Anhorn kind of came in like with so much poise and so much patience and, he was able to make a lot of really good decision, which Alan Merrick, I guess his his question, we can tie into it a little bit, is the loss of Anhorn a bigger loss than most of us realize? Um, and I would say indubitably yes. Um, I thought it was going to be a big loss. I didn't know how bad, uh, big of a loss it was going to be after, until these four games happened. 
Can you say indubitably three times fast? No, I was I was amazed I was able to say it once. That was good. <laughs> Definitely not going to try. It I was times. I was impressed too. Yeah, yeah. I I tried to uh, say I I didn't want to sugarcoat the fact that Van Horn's loss is gigantic. Um, perhaps it's surprising that the impact is so glaringly obvious so quickly. Yeah, we saw the Denver the the Denver shutout. Two nothing. That was without Anhorn. Maybe that sort of papered over the loss initially. It's like, hey, he's out of the lineup, but we still got a shutout. Well, the last two weekends, it's become what was it? Indubitably clear that uh, that uh, Anhorn's absence here, uh, and it's just it's it's frustrating because again, I. I don't think he was going to win the Hobie if he if he stayed healthy, but I think he was their best chance to be like yeah, a finalist. Agreed. Um, and I, I thought he was a uh, Hobie best aside, chance, yeah, to make the. I just think trick. the best all around player they had. Um, and I, at the same sense, I don't want that to be the the narrative of this season. Like, oh, Anhorn's missing, so you know, woe is us. I, you know, that's kind of what we saw with like the Twins this year. Like, oh god, the injuries. You know, the world's out to get us. Woe is us turning into Eeyore the donkey. Um, there's still some depth on this team. There's still some talent. It is a huge loss, and I don't want to understate that. But I still think they have they have horses available to to get the job done here. So I don't want them to use that as some sort of excuse um try to get some motivation from it and and get some guys to step up you know um seeing wiley getting some more some more action reiners has kind of become a staple in the lineup now zemer has kind of been the odd man out didn't didn't see the ice this weekend but you know we still got some some guys wanting minutes and then we've, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Meyer probably still not at 100%. I think he's maybe, he's over 90% at this point. But, and let's hope, yeah, let's hope we don't get, a, you know, someone get uh, pneumonia, uh, I guess. I, we have to have that on the bingo card now. So just right. make sure that anything or just anything other unforeseen happens. I mean, yeah. losing Anhorn's big enough. Let's just try to stay healthy the rest of the way uh, other than that. So, but yeah, big loss. Um, and then going back to Jeffrey Wood's question, um, is that I I feel like when this team does face like a big four check or whatnot, I think yeah, some of our players like Lutke this year, Peart, you know, they just get a little panicky, or they try try to do maybe a little bit too much, or they try to do things that worked at a lower level that definitely doesn't work in college hockey, so. You know, hopefully, I keep hoping that this is just going to be, you know, that that they're going to learn, and they just, it hasn't quite clicked for them yet. Um, You know, just kind of speaking of Peart as well, when we're talking about, you know, overtime and whatnot, and him coughing up the puck in, in the three-on-three, and, you know, I, I was just looking, our shots in overtime... Yeah, you know, we lead every period um in, in, in shots per period, in the first and the second and the third. In overtime, we have given up seventeen shots and we've taken five. 
<laughs> That's abysmal. It's crazy. So I'm going to I'm going to guess we scored on our only shot then in Denver. <laughs> I mean, that sounds right. I, I mean, I was there. And so, you had that like this weekend a lot of special teams in in uh in the overtime. But yeah, remember the Gopher game at Mariucci? I mean, that was a prevent defense. Yeah. Uh we're playing for a tie. I hate that. Uh yeah. uh mentality well and the De- the denver one remember that was when Ma i'm gonna say Moscow. that's when larson challenged a major which they lost so they started that overtime on the penalty kill yeah that's right and i was saying at that point is st cloud gonna touch the puck uh that was the only question for me but they killed it killed it off and i i bet you it was the only shot they had that that overtime because it was shortly after that penalty was was killed Nope, but yeah, so a lot. Shots. Yeah, we had two shots. We had okay. two shots. Just, just but yeah, thinking just a lot of was was didn't they take a penalty in that Gopher game as well? Like this, this Miami series had penalties in each game. There was a you know four on yeah it was because in the Gopher series there was like a it was four on four for a while because there was penalties I think on both sides. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I not be but want to double check. No, no, but we didn't. I don't know what I was saying. Uh, there were no penalties um, there in the golfer game, but you're correct that we didn't have a shot on goal in overtime. Yeah, but yeah, this this series for for certain was uh, you know, kind of penalty ridden. So yeah, the overtime approach. It, it, thank God we don't play three on three in the postseason because it doesn't seem to be uh, our strong suit. Outshot Miami in overtime, four to one on Friday, and on Saturday seven to two. Miami is out shooting them. Miami's out shooting St. Cloud. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, last question: As you know, we have gone two hours without uh, previewing a series, so I guess this is. <laughs> It's about know. our average. We're, we're good at hitting two hours, whatever, whatever the slate is up. Right, exactly. Um, uh, Swiss cheese, uh, thank you for the question. Um, what needs to happen to fix the peg slash mooring issues in the league? Dislodge nets are far too common this season with little to no effort from the goaltender's perspective. I don't know how much it's happening around the league. Um, but yeah, definitely here at, at the National Hockey Center, it's been an issue that it's it's, it's, it's really bad. It, it's really bad. It's really tough to watch. And I wonder how much of that has to do with just the fact that the refrigeration system is just so old and badly needs replacing that we just it just can't keep it cold enough that like the, just the hole is just too big. So it pops off easier or, or whatnot. I don't, I don't know. I can only speculate, but it's it anytime like a net's popped off. It's happened to both goaltenders. It's happened multiple series. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just to the point where they're not doing it. I don't think a goalie's doing it as much as Gino Paris wants me to tell me that they're doing it on purpose. I don't believe it. I don't think any goalie has. Yeah. Spencer Knight. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I mean, there are, like, 
<laughs> the uh, who's the the Maple Leafs goalie earlier this year against the Wilds doing it. But that you see, I, it doesn't happen so widespread in one building. It's it's it seems to be there are there are certainly some goalies that have done it in the past, but this is so that there's not been three penalties this year on goalies for delay a game or knocking the pegs off intentionally. I'm using scare quotes there. Bassey did it once. They flagged Rowe for Western Michigan, and then Pearson this weekend. None of none of those power plays just incidentally have resulted in goals, which I kind of like. Like those are cheap penalties. I don't think that should happen anyway. So I'm glad that they haven't resulted in power play goals. But and I believe they're all at that end of the ice. Now there's there's been net, net issues at the far end as well. But this is the at the end of the ice closest to the Zam where the Zamboni comes out. I don't know. Would that be the uh, east end of the rink? That's the I east believe? end. Yep. Yep, that's the river. It seems side. to be that is the worst end of it. And at this point, I you know we mentioned in the Mankato series when it was really an issue, and you brought up the ice theory because I was I was like I've never seen these yellow pegs, and I was thinking it's the pegs. Like the pegs aren't strong enough, and they're they got too much give. I like your idea with the ice. Yeah, those facilities need to be upgraded soon, and that might be an issue. I'm wondering if the position closest to that to the boards, if the ice gets worn down more easily because like the the Zamboni traffic is so close. The fact that we're speculating why this is an issue at this point in the season is just my it just it's bad because it's having an effect on the game. As you said, I agree that I don't believe these goalies are doing it intentionally, but they are disrupting the play. That Miller play where he did like a wraparound. Yeah. When Pearson knocked the net off, uh, could have been a goal like that. Mm. It's hard to tell because of because of the fact that that was off. Maybe Pearson knew that prior to the and he kind of gave up on the play and made it look to seem like it was well, going to be more of an obvious Pearson chance. Pearson probably couldn't get over to that side quick enough right. because his the goal that post that he was trying to push right. off of wasn't there anymore. So I mean, it it just affects gameplay in that in that regard, and it just it, it needs to be fixed. I, I'm not an ice engineer. I have no idea how to fix this or why this is the issue. I'd like to know how long they've been using these yellow pegs. Like I said, I haven't noticed them before this year, but I certainly may have missed them in years past. I don't know if it, it could be a combination of the two, but whatever the issue is, it needs to be fixed because whether or not you want to call penalties or blame goalies or any of that, like it's just, it shouldn't, it's, it just shouldn't happen. Like it's, it affects the pace and the flow of the game. Yeah. From that perspective is the worst, I think. So I can't help you, but I'm with you that it, it's really gotta, gotta stop. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a nice issue. So, so if anyone has, you know, a couple million dollars that they want to donate to get a new refrigeration system, one that doesn't, leak free on everywhere or whatever the issue is with the ice that we have um yeah yeah it's uh right out uh check to st cloud state so, yeah. meyer no meyer hoffer is not there anymore i don't know who it is sh- shrink the rink at the same time when you're doing that too that, that's <laughs> just, my soapbox a- also uh the seats uh change all those so <laughs> well let's uh oh there's a there's a lot there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot that can be done. there's phase two that we're still waiting on so mm-hmm. there, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of upgrades. So, 
Um, well, hopefully the uh, only upgrade that I care about the most is uh, the upgrade of the play uh, on the ice. That's right. That's a good, good final segue. Good final segue. God, I'm getting so good at this. So I know. Uh, well, that about does it uh, for, for this it. episode. Uh, Husky Hockey Podcast. Uh, I'm Weldy at More Clappers. M-O-A-R, More Clappers. Uh, follow me on Twitter. And uh, Andrew, you can reach Andrew at, not at the Twitter bar, uh, but uh, at the Gmail bar. Yes, uh, it's Husky's Hockey Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, That's where you're there, drinking I'll, your old-fashioned. I'll, I'll buy you a beer. That's right. Mm-hmm. Brandy old-fashioned. Well, there you go. Uh, until next time, go Huskies. Woo! Woo!